All right. We are live. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We are going to go back to basics. Last few episodes, we've talked about the current goings-on in the world and how they have affected us, but there's really not much more to talk about. Um, Things are opening back up. But uh, it's perfect time for us to talk about the basics because that's what's kept us moving throughout all this uh, upheaval in the market. And, um, you know, I guess we could kind of start with these uh, people are really upset with brokers right now. Um, they, I think they've needed to find a boogeyman to go after uh, with uh, – the market conditions as they have been. And, um, you know, there's kind of some fundamental ignorance there um, about how economics works and how freedom works and how liberty works. And, um, you know, so let's get back to the basics. So we have maintained our fleet through this. Our drivers have made money. Nobody's had to go home. Nobody's been laid off. Um, Larry, where where would you want to begin if we if we try to drill in on the basics of business um, and and how that fundamental works in every market? And it, it worked in 2018, and it works now. Well. I mean, if you boil it down to the most simple uh, concepts, um, and this is certainly not anything that most people don't understand, is that you have to operate your business in a highly efficient, um, extremely um, aware of cost and costs that you can control, um, attention to efficiency, Um, and these are the kinds of environments where this really, really pays off and, and, and actually in most cases will keep you from being a casualty of the situation in good times. It just affords you to be highly profitable, but in rough times, it allows you to stay in business, you know? Um, so it's not something we created for this, um, for me, it actually was born out of this uh, recession or whatever you want to call it back in 2009 because that's when I kind of started with being an owner-operator. And so I learned how to be an owner-operator in one of the, before this, one of the biggest recessions we'd had since, you know, in our lifetime. So it, it wasn't, it, it was it was born out of necessity, but it just was something that, if I was going to be able to um, be successful, be profitable, I had to be able to control cost. And, um, you know, bringing non-trucking industry or business experience to this, it just made sense that I look at this like any other business. And the one thing that is different about trucking and independent or owner operators that you don't see in most other businesses is that people get into this industry or this segment of the industry highly leveraged, you know, 
Um, and that is one of the biggest problems that we're having right now is that with rates, what that's the way everybody's in Washington, D.C. bitching about the rates because they can't afford to haul freight at the rates that are currently in the marketplace and service the debt. So, um, and when you're allowed to lease a truck or buy a truck with no money down and the payments are seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a week, and the rates go from three or four dollars a mile to a dollar a mile, well, you squeal, you know, and you start acting desperate and you start being a fool and start blaming everybody else. But the problem is not, I mean, there, there may be some problems in, in this. I'm going to get me wrong. There, you know, there's been examples of people posted up where brokers have, you know, have uh, inflated their margins, but they do that because, you know, at this point in time, people are so desperate that they, they have to, they think they have to, to do what they got to do. But the, the, the simple fact of this is that um, if, you, if you can control your costs and, and, and be in a, in a, in a, in a, in a position of, um, you know, of, of um, I guess, with reserves and, and running the business. So, you know, no, nobody, no other business that I can think of can you go get a lease for a hundred percent of the business and go into business with something you've never done before. And, uh, and I know people are going to say, well, but I've been driving for 20 years, but, but driving and being in business aren't the same skill set, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and this is the, this is why people are hurting right now is because they don't understand business. So they're reaching out for help and they don't really understand what they're asking for because that help comes with a lot of strings attached to it. We spent a lot of years getting out from under that help. We finally did it with the Motor Carrier Act. And now everybody wants to go right back to it because they don't understand history. They don't know what it was right. like. When you say regulate, they don't understand. None of these people would be in business if, it's, if, we, were in a regula- if we were back in regula- regulated uh, uh, industry. There'd be no owner-operators, you know, certainly not to the extent that we have right now. You'd have to pay a lot of money to buy a lane. And these people don't have money to buy a truck, much less buy a lane. Well, to that point, isn't it kind of funny that the outlaw is romanticized, you know? So my best friend is looking at buying a truck right now, right? Right. We've both talked to him and and we've gone back and forth. And so he he calls this guy about a truck and it was like a $9,000 international. And he records the call and sends it to me saying here, it's typical good old boy. And, uh, and, and Zeke says something like, uh, well, you know, it doesn't have all those emission stuff on. That's why I like it. And the guy says, well, the best thing about it is it's a 99 and you don't have to run that ELD. That's the best thing about it. And I'm thinking sure. ELD is the least of your problems, but we romanticize the outlaw. Right. Right. Sure. But what they don't realize is that in the regulated market back in the 70s, the outlaws were outlaws because what they were doing was illegal. The reason they were running around the scales with their lights off in the middle of the night was to escape the regulation that made it illegal for them to haul loads if they didn't own that lane. Yeah, they shouldn't have been on the lane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why they were outlaws. They were breaking the law. Or they were carrying products that they weren't authorized to carry. You know, exactly. The lane was not to specify that product. And so I, it's funny to me that you that you romanticize and you hold up the, the outlaw on this pedestal 
but now you want to go make the environment regulated again to turn everybody into outlaws because in order for you to do what you do today, you would have to make what you do today illegal in order to get back to what you want. And guys, can we just stop for a second and think if you think the government is the answer to the rape problem and you want the government to fix it, just a little glimpse through history should tell you who benefits from government regulation. It's not the small fleet. It's the really, really, really big fleet. Those are the ones that always benefit from the regulation and, and have always benefited from the regulations because they have the money to pay off the lobbyists to, to go get in the politician's ear to write the law the way they want it to be. So yeah. I just <clears throat> find that ironic yeah. and funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and again, when you don't have a lot of business knowledge, you don't understand that when you ask somebody, you know, to put a minimum on something, automatically there's going to be a maximum that goes with that. So let's just say that all this happens. Let's just say that someone does step in and applies some type of a minimum, you know, rate. Well, what's going to happen when the tide turns again and the, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the carrier is in the power position and now all of a sudden there's a cap. You know, they'll, they'll be back in Washington again bitching because you're controlling what I can make. You know, you're restricting what I can make. So it, it's funny how they only want to, they want everything to go their way. You know, and, and it's, it's very immature and it reminds you of dealing with children, you know, that only want everything, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it just, uh, it blows me away that, that these grown adults, grown ass men and women out here that are quote, having a standoff, whatever the hell that means in Washington DC now for eight days or 11 days, whatever it is. What, what do they, what do they think it's going to happen? I mean, who's going, if they got what they want, where's it going to come from? You know, I can, no one can explain that to me, you know? What if the government does put a minimum standard on a rate? Who, how is that possibly going to be applied and utilized and implemented? Mm -hmm. Well, one of their points that I've seen as I've read some articles about this is they want transparency. They believe that the broker is taking too much of the rate. Okay, so let's assume that there's one customer and there's one broker and there's one carrier, just in a little linear line. And they say, well, I should know, I should, ha I should have access to the information of how much the customer, the shipper is paying that broker. And then we can just lock down the fee that the broker gets and then it's all transparent and I get to know what they, okay, well, that's not, uh, evil in any way, you know, to, well, let's all see the contract. Okay, that's fine. But you know how, and this is one of the reasons that independent authority never really appealed to me. I'm not a great salesman. I would rather have my fingernails pulled out than to go knock on doors and solicit customers, right? So I'd, I would need an agent or I would either need an agent to do that for me or I would need to hire a salesman to do that for me and then give them a piece of the action. 
Well, if you want to know what the shipper's paying, just go, go get some direct customers. And guys like Kenny Long and Rico Muhammad and um, there's another guy I'm forgetting, but they teach that. You know, that don't just de- don't just depend on the spot market, because when times are good, you can make a living in a spot market and not have to do the sales and not have to do the follow up and not have to massage these customers and give them what they want and blow smoke up their rear end and all that kind of stuff. But right now, and, and I said this on a previous episode, when I would write down the list of all the reasons it's better to be leased than independent, and I would give you all these reasons that was about insurance and cost and all that, but I never, it never dawned on me until now that direct customers is, a, is huge because my rate has not changed one penny in the last six weeks. And we've had, with our five trucks, we've had drivers have their week, their whole paycheck saved by one direct customer load that they signed a contract a year ago or two years ago or three years ago for $3.50 a mile. And it doesn't matter what the spot market does. They have to pay that rate. And so if you are independent and you had gone out and done the hard work, as our friend Kevin says, if you had gone out and done the hard work and did got that direct relationship with that customer, they might call you in the time like this and ask for something and you could reciprocate. Well, yeah, Hey, I'll give you a little break, but you keep me working. Right. Because a 20% reduction is better than a hundred percent reduction. And that's what a lot of people are dealing with right now. But if you want to know what the customer's paying, just go sell yourself to that customer and write that contract. You don't have to worry about a broker. But we have devalued in this industry. We've put truck drivers up on a pedestal that's way too high. And then everybody else is a piece of dog crap, you know, and everybody else supposed to serve the driver and, uh, you know, well, agents and brokers and uh, third party people, they're all, uh, they're all just dirt, you know, and we treat them that way. So you've got to have an attitude of service. And even in a time like this, I bet you, you might still be able to go out and make those sales calls and you might be able to snag your customer in a market like this, but going to the government and expecting them to fix your problem is it's ludicrous and it's counterproductive and it shows you have no grasp of history of all the times that people have gone to the government and said, Hey, help me. Oh, they helped you. All right. They helped you right into bankruptcy. Well, another thing I see that, that again shows a lack of understanding is they think that the broker, the position of the broker is not necessary. Let's get rid of brokers, you know? Um, but what they don't understand is that they have, believe me, they do not want to deal with what the brokers deal with. They think that all they have to do is get a load and go drive the truck, you know, but what they don't understand is that the customer's demands are all handled by the brokers, you know, and, and the drivers typically are shielded from that. You know, they're the ones answering all the questions. First of all, they're the ones who went out and made the sale and actually got the load, you know, um, how are drivers, you said that you weren't a salesman. Well, I, I don't know very many drivers that I've met that would make very good salesmen either. And how, how would they, how successful would they be at going out and knocking on doors 
and knocking on the hundreds of doors it takes to get the first shot at, at, at taking my freight, you know. And then after that, keeping that customer happy because every time that something goes wrong, somebody's got to go and explain to the customer why and, and, and pacify them and keep them from going to your competition. How good would drivers be at doing that? But yet they want to, they want to discount anything that the broker does as far as value because they're taking a percentage of the load and in their um, examples, uh, what they think is too high of a percentage, but what, what would the driver charge to do what they do? And we can give you another example. Most independent or uh, owner operators, one of the reasons why they became owner operators was to get rid of the dispatcher. Okay. They hated their dispatcher. Well, let me tell you, most of the people that fail at Landstar fail because they don't have a dispatcher. Okay. Because the driver that didn't, that hated his dispatcher now understands what they had to go through to watch a load board all day and plan loads and, you know, all, which they're horrible at, you know, for the most part. And so, so now we want to get rid of the broker on top of getting rid of the dispatcher and put all, so now it's the completely upon the driver to be everything to a shipper, you know, the, the face of the, of the, you know, of the, uh, of the industry to the shipper, you know, the follow-up don't even talk about the billing, you know? So what we'll do there is we'll just get, we'll just get a factoring company and give them a big percentage of our money. It's kind of reminds me of buying a car and beating up the car salesman, but then going into the finance office and just turning feet up, you know? So, so we'll get rid of the broker. Okay. And we'll, and we'll, and we'll, we'll, but now we'll give all of our money to a factoring company because we can't handle the billing or can't wait 90 days to get paid. So, and so you think the factoring companies might take advantage of that? You know, you think that is going to be as competitive as it is right now when, when, so it, 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 it's just a lack of sophistication in understanding how business works. Um, but look, you're not going to change that. Uh, you know, I don't even know how this is going to turn out. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. First of all, everything they want is available right now. There, if you're, if you're, if you're taking freight on a percentage basis, the laws exist right now to allow for you to, to see that invoice. Okay. That's not new. You can do that right now. Okay. So, um, anybody that's dealing with a broker is not getting paid on a mileage basis. Typically they're getting paid on a percentage of the load. They have every right to see what, um, uh, what all that, uh, uh, transaction looks like. Uh, now they might not be able to do it from the truck. They may have to go to the office and actually see it right there. I mean, I don't think the law allows for them to, you know, to just send it to whoever, whoever asked for it, but it is available. So if, if that's, if that's what you want, you've got that right now, you know, uh, having another law is not going to make that any different, you know? Um, and, and the other thing is why in this, why in this industry, is it okay for me to demand to know what you paid for in this case, a service, but it, it, you know, if, if, can you go into McDonald's and demand the manager there tell you what they paid for the hamburger that they, that you paid for? I mean, who, who, who does that? Who, you know, 
No other business does that. Why, why is it any of our business really to know what the, the wholesale, wholesaler, the middleman paid for a product, you know, and up until the internet, that was a big secret anyway. Now with the internet, you can pretty much find out what a car dealer pays for a car. You can go on, you can find, you know, pretty much what stuff cost. Um, but if, if, if you're wanting to buy, you know, I watch Shark Tank all the time and I see products on there that sell for hundreds of dollars and you find out that they paid $16 to make it. So does that make, now, does that hurt their sales? No, because the day after on Shark Tank, they, they, their sales go from a few hundred thousand to a few million. So everybody knows what they paid and they still bought the product. Yeah. Because value subjective. I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay. If, 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 the, if the load is not attractive to you, move on, you know, it, it's just that simple, you know, um, why do we want to, why do we want to regulate everybody so that a few people who can't, you know, uh, take care of themselves, um, get, you know, get, uh, someone to protect them. You know, I don't know. I, I don't think this is the basics we really want to talk about. The, 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 the idea here is, is that, look, if it's not this problem, it'll be, an, you know, this, this business is cyclical. It comes and goes. It's up and down. You know, we're dealing with a lot of stuff right now with this virus that we've never, ever dealt with before. But, you know, states are opening back up again. People are getting tired of sitting at home. They can't wait to spend money. You know, if a restaurant opens up, they're covered up to the point where, you know, so, I mean, it, 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 it's not going to take long before, you know, this, uh, the, this pendulum is going to swing the other way and there's going to be huge demand and all these people then they were, they were crying about having a minimum are going to be bitching because now there's a maximum, you know, they can't make, you know, what they want to make. You're, why is this not fair that you control what I make? You can't, what, 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 but that's exactly what they're asking for. They just don't understand it. You know. Well, let's let's do this. So, well, let, let you know because I think one of the things when I think about the basics, okay, it's it's a fundamental understanding. I've got to talk a lot about this with with uh, Zeke over the last few days as we've talked about buying a truck and having a general idea of what insurance costs, knowing that if you're going to buy a truck, you've got to pay a twenty two ninety knowing what the steps are and understanding how the system works. We've seen, you know, we can roll through Facebook groups with Landstar and I'm sure it's the same with Mercer or Schneider or whoever, you know, if you're leased to a carrier, there are people that don't take the time to understand how that system works. And then they don't want to, and really, frankly, they don't want to know how it works. They just want their professional at being angry and pissed off. And so instead of taking the time to call someone up and ask, well, well, how does the agent get paid? And, and, and what do I get for the money that I exchange to Landstar? You know, uh, they don't want to know. They just want to be mad and they want to be ignorant. You know, ignorance is a choice. So what are those basics? Well, um, you need to know the difference between the insurance that you're responsible for if you're leased versus the insurance you're responsible for if you're having authority. You need to know um, how to calculate fuel taxes. 
you need to know how to um, calculate and forecast maintenance expenses. And you need to be able to report those. You know, if you're at Landstar, you've got to report those every 120 days with your inspection. You know, you've got to, you, you need to know how, if you're at least a Landstar, how to use those 120 day uh, inspections to your advantage instead of running from them, run to them. Build a relationship with a good mechanic that can get under your truck every 120 days and help you not only pass the 120, but to have a better, uh, a, a, a more reliable and more efficient vehicle. Because Lord knows with Carl, every time, what was it we had? I had him doing something so funny. He was, oh, he was fixing an oil leak on a truck. And I walk up and he goes, now, you know, I can't get without, I, I can't get under it without looking and finding stuff. And so he points out, well, hey, with this and this and this and this and this little stuff. But if it's left alone, those little things are going to become big things, you know, and it was tightening up a bowl to where, you know, hey, you're, I think it was the carrier bearing, your carrier bearing's a little, I'm going to, I'm going to take that loose and I'm going to straighten it. Just these little things, but that relationship saves us tens of thousands of dollars. Over, but, 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 but here's the, here's the irony in that these guys will try to find somebody that will pass it without looking because all they want to do is pass it, you know? Mm -hmm. So they, by, by that very nature, they're going someplace where the person does not do that because that's what they're trying to avoid. Number one, they don't want to fix it. And number two, they really don't want to, um, to, to uh, I don't even know how to explain it. They, they would rather take their chance, you know, with it and go ahead and run and, and then, then to fix it. So instead of finding a place that will do that kind of work, they're looking because they, they even get on Facebook, where's the place I can go that won't, you know, fail my truck, you know, well, dude, if your truck needs to be failed, it needs to be failed. Going someplace that won't fail it isn't doing you any favors, you know, because when it fails, now you're on the side of the road under a load that you're going to have to repower now and lose all the money on, and you're going to have a tow bill. When, all, when you were there already, you know, the truck was on a lift or, or in a shop, and all you had to do was pay to fix the carrier bearing instead of it going out down the road somewhere, you know, yeah. while the guy already was there. But that's ju again, that's, that's just a, a backwards way that most guys or a lot of guys don't say most, but a lot of guys will do. Look, we bought a truck that, that a prior, a previous BCO had just paid somebody to do a, an inspection on. And when Carl saw that truck, he said, my God, there's not anything about this truck that would pass an inspection. And it hadn't been 10 days. It was yeah. in another shop and got a clean bill of health. We bought it with, Oh, it's past a, it's past a Landstar inspection. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, guy must have been blind and drunk, uh, you know, because that truck was, you know, and, and guys, the reason Landstar does these 120s is so that when you pull in a scale and a DOT guy looks and sees that blue star, why is he going to waste his time? Because he, he's there to generate revenue. That's why he exists. Well, if he sees a truck coming, then he knows there's a probably 95% chance that truck's going to pass an inspection. Why would he waste his time inspecting your truck? 
he ain't gonna get no money out of you. And that's why Landstar does that. I mean, they do it to make sure that that drivers keep their trucks safe and compliant because CSA score hurt them too. Don't just hurt us. But that's a byproduct of it. That's a side benefit of the fact. Yeah. But we know, uh, I mean, these trucks have to be maintained constantly. You know, and even even when rates are low and the market's bad, you still have to make, you can't give up your maintenance program when times are bad. Okay. But that's the first thing that people do. Well, I'm not making any money. I can't, I'm not going to, I'm going to let this go. You know, that what people, uh, people talk about buying trucks from fleets. That's a good way to buy a truck because it's been fleet maintained. Mm hmm. Well, let me tell you what the first thing a fleet does when they know they're going to sell a truck or if they're, if they're in trouble business-wise is they quit doing maintenance on the trucks, you know. So I don't necessarily agree with that strategy of buying a truck. I went to work when I had been off the road a couple of years. In 2005, I found a company to go work for in, in down near neck of the woods in Kentucky. And so I went through a couple of days orientation. They put me in a, in a, in a 9400 International. And so I got moved into it and I fired up and I start to move and I got a real bad air leak and I'm like, Oh crap. So I go to the shop and the guy goes, well, yeah, well that we have been stealing parts off of that truck to keep the other ones running. And I'm thinking, and y'all put me in it. All right. So then I go down the road a day or two and I go around a right-hand turn and the cabinet falls off the wall and hits the floor. And then it was in the winter time and I go to, uh, I go to put windshield washer fluid in it and I pour it in and it starts running right out the bottom because somebody had stole the, the, uh, the, the little pump, you know, and, and I'm like this truck guys, but, but that's what you can end up with a fleet. You know, they'll just, they'll just steal parts off of <laughs> your truck and put them on another one. Um, the, the, the idea is there. Well, sure. They're, you know, they're going to make sure that you do your PMs and stuff, but they're not going to give it the kind of detail that my truck that I'm driving right now, which is Larry's first truck that has almost 1.8 million miles on it. Uh, they're not going to maintain a truck that will last 2 million miles because they're not going to put that detail in. And that's why they get rid of them at half a million because they can make them somebody else's problem. But this truck has survived 1.75 million miles because it's been, it's had little stuff done to it every week or every month. And if you're going to, to do this and you're going to take on the risk and the responsibility of being an owner operator, you've got to learn how your truck works you've got to be able to identify these parts. You don't have to be able to change them. You can hire somebody else to do that, but you need to know the fundamental basics of how that stuff works so that somebody can't pull the wool over your eyes. As we talked about in our last episode with the ignition switch, you know, you, you, you've got to be able to speak that vocabulary so that you can talk with a quality mechanic and you can diagnose things. And here, I think this is what it is. And, you know, but well, let's let's getting back to the basics again. We uh, when we first talked about this. I talked about how the highly leveraged business model is not the way to go, and and, and is impossible 
to do nowadays. So let's, let's just explain what that is. You know, you know, we advocate buying a 10 to $15,000 truck. Um, we, um, prefer that it be a Freightliner or a Volvo with a Detroit engine. <clears throat> and you may say, well, why? Well, you know, they're the least expensive engine to maintain. They're the easiest to get worked on. Every TA and Petro in the United States is a Freightliner service point. Um, so you can get work done on it while you're at a truck stop taking your break. Instead of sitting in a waiting room of a dealership, um, parts for them are easy to find and they're cheap. Um, and we can get decent fuel mileage with them without spending a ton of money. And so, and we want you to do that with cash. You know, we don't want you to borrow money or certainly not to go into a lease <clears throat> to go into business, especially if it's your first time. So that when this kind of environment comes around and the rates do fall in the, in the, in the, in the gutter, you don't have a truck payment that you're having to worry about. Uh, and you may say, well, I don't have $15,000 cash. Well, my answer to that is, well, wait till you do. What's the hurry? Uh, if you go into business and you're undercapitalized, all you're going to do is fail and you're going to be out of business, not by your choice. Why not just wait and do it the right way to begin with? How long does it take to save $15,000? And if you can't do that, maybe you ought not be in business anyway, because it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be an automatic thing. You're going to go into business and all of a sudden have enough money to, to save money. Um, especially if you have a truck payment. So that's what we recommend. Um, there's lots of used trucks out there. There's going to even be more after this little fiasco is over with. And, uh, there's, um, a way that you can do your homework and, um, and find out the condition of the truck, uh, what it's, you know, who's owned it in the past and what it's gone through and all that, all that's available to you. If you're willing to do the work, um, take it to a mechanic and have it inspected by somebody that you know and trust, you know, find out what needs to be done to it. And then, um, what we do is we take that 10 or $15,000 truck and we put about that much more in it initially and make it roadworthy, make it uh, reliable and safe and put some creature comforts in it for our drivers. And we put it on the road. And then over the course of the first few months, we find other things that we didn't catch that you really don't know until you start pulling freight with it. And then we probably spend another $10,000 on it. So we end up with having about 40 grand or so in a truck typically, but now we've got a truck that's good that makes money makes money for a driver, makes money for me, the owner, <clears throat> and um, uh, the truck's paid for, you know. So when rates drop in the, uh, out like this, um, you know, I mean, I'm not making the money I was making back in, you know, January, February, March, but we're not losing money and um, we're not sending anybody home and we'll be there when this thing is over with and we'll still be positioned at that point in time to take advantage of the rates that are going to eventually come back. And then we'll be making lots of money again, you know? 
So I want to I want to add something about I used this an, this analogy with uh, Zeke the other day because when you're when you're looking for a ten thousand dollar truck, there's something you need to understand. Um, I took my mom and dad to a NASCAR race in two thousand, kind of at the height of NASCAR's popularity, and tickets were pretty expensive. So I found the tickets that I could afford, and um, so we sat in an area uh, that was pretty rowdy. And my dad made the comment afterward that, you know, when you, when you sit in the cheap seats, you kind of sit around cheap people. And, uh, cause it was, it was a whole lot rowdier environment than my mom and dad have ever had ever been in. And, um, what, what track, what track was this? Charlotte. We ended up <laughs> sitting between turn one and two, about four rows up for the all-star race. And there was a guy with a Wrangler hat. And every time an Earnhardt went by, he stood and raised his beard. You know, that was a 150 lap race. And, you know, every, there was two Earnhardts in that race too, you know? So, I mean, he, he, he got quite a workout. Um, you know, the guy beside me started drinking about 10 o'clock in the morning. So the time the race started, he was on another planet, you know, but anyway, <laughs> you have to understand that when you're looking at $10,000 trucks, um, you're going to get lied to, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, because, you know, there's the process. You find the truck, you call, you ask some questions. Hey, I need the VIN number. Can I do an oil sample? Can I do a dyno? Can I do an ECRM report? And from the time they say, sure, to actually, I don't think Zeke, he's looked at four or five trucks. <laughs> I think he got one VIN number, you know. But you have to understand it. You're not going to walk out the front door and trip over the truck that you need. You have to be willing to walk away from a lot of deals you have to be willing to put five hundred dollars down okay well hang on to that truck for me you know it's going to be a week before i can come look at it but i'm really interested and i'm willing to give five hundred dollars away non-refundable um you, you can't get in a hurry and you can't get the fever and go buy the first truck you see you've got to take your time and that is a very foreign concept to a lot of americans we live and have for the last 50 years an instant gratification. I want something. I'm going to go find right it. Now. I'm going to track it down and I'm going to take it home. You can't do that when you're looking for a truck. You have to take your time, especially if you have a limited amount of money. Now we've taken some risks on, on some trucks and we bought what well, at least two of them sight unseen, you know, just, okay, yes, that's fine. Um, but we're in a position where we can risk a little bit more, but if that's all the money you got, you have got to go very slowly, but if you do and you find that right truck, where that's going to put you five years from now is going to be way, way ahead of someone that either got in a hurry looking for the old truck or went and said, okay, well, I'll just pay the lease payment and I'll go get a brand new one. Um, you'll be so much further ahead than those people, but you have to slow down. And you have to be willing to learn about these basics, about insurance, about maintenance, about who gets paid and how they get paid. And uh, you've got to be willing to, to, to change your mind and change your identity of who you're going to be because you're no longer a truck driver. You have got to take that truck driver identity and throw it away um it's uh, it's imperative 
You have to. You, you're not a truck driver anymore. You are a business owner. So maybe you need to network with some people in your area that are just in business. Maybe they run a restaurant or maybe they run a construction outfit or, and have them teach you about business because those principles transcend every industry. This one's different because the barrier of entry is so low. Any any fool can can go get a truck and a license and go and go pull freight and and be moderately successful. But then when a market like this hits and you get that stool kicked out from under you, boy, it's a long way from your nose to the floor. And when you hit, I can testify uh, from experience that it hurts really really bad. You know, and, and, you know, I have to remind myself occasionally that it wasn't very long ago that I believed it was over. I believed I would never drive for Landstar again. I would never own a truck again that I had screwed it up so bad. And I had really, um, yeah, I wouldn't have bet. but I did that. I can't blame the government. I can't blame the brokers. I can't blame the agents. I can't blame Landstar. It was me. I did it. You know, it's so much easier to go find somebody else to blame. And it's really, really difficult to look in the mirror and decide that you're the one that screwed this up. But that's the truth. You know, so. You know, it, it's hard to do this because it, you have to work. You know, you see, you can get in this business so easy. You can walk into any dealership without doing any of this work and get you a truck with no money down. Okay. And, 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 and you think that because you're buying a newer truck that you're not going to have problems or you're going to get, you're going to pay for a warranty and that's going to keep you from having those problems. And, and, and every day, hundreds if not thousands of those people find out that that wasn't the right way but they don't understand they go well that's the only way that i know how to do it you know um we have told people what we do and we don't keep this a secret we tell everybody that wants to listen what we do you know how many people actually do it you know very 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 few very few because it requires work and it requires accountability and, re and it requires saving money, which nobody can do, you know? So it, you know, it, we don't have to make this, we don't have to keep, it's not secret sauce. You know, we tell everybody how to do it and still can't, you know, seem to make people understand that this is the, how you go in, especially the first time, if you're, I, I mean, I don't, I'm look, it's not my first time. I still do it this way because this is the way that you survive what's going on right now. This is the way we survived in 09. It's the way we survived in 14. It's the way we survived in 19, even before the virus, after everybody made all the money they could possibly put stuff in their pockets in 2018. So it's the only way I know of that this business is bulletproof no matter what the economy is, no matter what the market is. Um, but you've got to be willing to do what you just said, Chris. You've got to be willing to spend the time and spend the, the effort to go find the truck, do the homework, 
And then you can't just sit in it and hold the steering wheel and run down the, and down the road. You've got to work on it. You've got to get it worked on. You've got to fix things that are wrong with it because the reason it costs $10,000 is because the guy who owned it before didn't. Okay. And that's all it's worth now. You know, we can find trucks that are older that sell for 20 and $30,000. Okay. But it's because they were taken care of. Now, if you've got the money, that's the one to buy because the work's already been done or it wasn't run down to where, you know, you have to spend 20 or $30,000 to bring it back to a reliable situation. But if, most, if people don't have 10 or 15,000, they certainly don't have 20 or 30. So that's why this business model works for them, those people, because they can then save the, or, um, save the money to buy the truck and then cash flow the repairs. Because you know as well as I do, if you're going to get in a truck and drive it yourself, you can make three, you know, $2,500 to $3,500 a week um, at Landstar. Um, and you could take the money and then fix the truck up the first few weeks you've got it, or first few months you've got it. So it, 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 we're just telling you how to make money. That's what we're doing. We're telling you how to be successful, especially at Landstar or anywhere. It doesn't have to be at Landstar. But, um, you know, you can come to Landstar and you can let them take 35% of your money and you can still make two or $3,000 a week in a truck that you paid cash for. Even now, you know, even now. Um, yeah. you know, if, if, if I were driving your truck right now, Chris, instead of you, or if you owned the truck yourself, you'd be making that right now in the middle of ours, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, cause my, my income throughout this whole thing has not gone down a penny. No, you know, and it's just funny. I mean, I, well, uh, what was it I did last last year? Ninety eight, I think it was ninety eight thousand. Just shy of a hundred, yeah, 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 just shy of a hundred. And this year, <laughs> we came into the year, and I'm like, okay, goal number one: break a hundred grand. Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna buy five more trucks, mm -hmm. and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that. And 2020 said, nay, nay, <laughs> not so Oops. fast. Yeah, um, I mean. <clears throat> there's there's still i mean y'all it's only it's only may i mean there, there's there's still we could still add three more trucks this year pretty pretty yeah. easily without really without breaking a sweat and, and probably will only because there are going to be some really good buys that are, you know there's going to be a lot of guys don't come out of this okay now the majority of them they're trucks i don't want okay i've said this many times if i won the free landstar truck I would drive it straight from wherever they gave it to me to the nearest dealership and I'd sell it for whatever cash they give it for me. Okay. And I'm assuming it would bring probably in excess of a hundred thousand dollars since it cost 150 and I would turn around and go buy about five or six trucks with that money and let them keep that truck. So most of the people that are going to go out of business are going to have trucks that I don't want, but there are going to be trucks out there. There's going to be guys out there that just are going to, this was, they were, they were close to retiring anyway. They've had their truck for a long time probably took really good care of it, you know, and this is like, I'm not, I'm not going to go, I'm not coming out of this. You know, this is a good time to retire. Here we go. Find that guy. That's your truck. There's your truck right there. Okay. But the point, but, but you've got to have the money when you go buy it. Okay. So, you know, um, if, if, if this is not the time for you, then look, Dave Ramsey says, go deliver pizzas or something. Okay. Do something 
to get where you can say, it doesn't take a long time to save $15,000, okay? It doesn't take a long time, you know? If you're an owner and operator, you're out there making two or $3,000 a week, you know, stop cigarettes next week, okay? You know, stop whatever it is that you spend money on and, um, you know, and, and put money away. Uh, if not to buy a truck, the, the, you should have money put away anyway. And, you know, people that aren't sweating right now are the people that had savings, all right? The people in Washington, D.C. crying for somebody to help them out are because they're broke and they're desperate and they want somebody to save, to save their ass. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm just like, I'm sorry about the people with the virus. You know, I hate that people are going to get sick and die, you know, but by God, you know, we're going to put 300 million people in the, in the funeral home because a few, a few thousand are going to get sick. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. <clears throat> yeah. I digress. It, <clears throat> there are, I want to circle back to one thing you said. I do not desire to get rid of brokers as in forcibly remove them. Right. But I do, I do believe they're going away. Um, you can go back to, I think it's episode 21 of this, of this show, uh, from when it was American truck driver. And, um, and I, and I interviewed a broker named Pete Emmeheiser. And he said, I won't retire as a broker. He knows the end is nigh for the broker model. Right. And um, I think this, everything surrounding this virus is going to accelerate that. Uh, but we will not, um, we will not, uh, we will not see brokers in the future. And that doesn't take, it's not going to take some force. It's just going to go away because it's going to be replaced by something better. That's going to connect us directly to the customers. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, but I need to either get Pete back on here or somebody and, and have a big, long, nice talk about blockchain and, and how that's going to change everything. But <clears throat> force and coercion and aggression does not bring you good things. Sometimes I think it feels good, you know, for you to go up to the Capitol and drive around the circles and, and, and demand this and demand that, and you, you get this camaraderie going, but pointing guns at people does not get them to do what you want them to do. You know, it, it's kind of, it, it's a, it, it's such a, it's such a lost opportunity here, you know, the trucking industry had a chance to really, really, really gain favor with the public. You know, I mean, we had, we've had an image problem for a long time anyway. You know, everybody hates trucks. Most people hate truck drivers. You know, they're arrogant. You know, they cut you off. They flip you off. You know, they, they, they tailgate you. You know, we had a chance here. We had the opportunity to really, really, really basically save this, country in terms of keeping people uh, in goods and, and, and supplies and whatnot. And we did, we did, but now we've got people up in Washington DC and lots of other places making an ass out of themselves and totally 
undoing all the good that was done, you know, by the the industry being quote essential and continuing on, you know, why didn't we just continue on and not ask, you know, for, uh, uh, respect? Why didn't we just let it be organic? But no, we have to form a group group called the disrespected trucker. Okay. And parade around and demand, you know, what I can't wait is for them to, when they pull off eventually up there, the perimeter of hazardous, hazardous waste, that's going to be left up there that now all the, uh, the uh, news shows are going to just go around and video that here's where the standoff occurred, folks. Here's what it looks like. And, and, if, and it takes 38 hazmat teams to clean that up, you know, next week, you know, when they finally do leave, but we had a chance to really, really, really shine in, a, in an opportunity. And we, in, instead of doing it, we sat around and, 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 and said, Hey, we, we demand respect. We demand this. We demand that. We demand it. And all the good that was done has now been negated. You know, um, when you have to make people respect you, well, maybe what you do is not respectable. You know? Yeah. And a lot of people um, don't hear that. No. They, they don't. Um... If, if what you do is worthy of respect, you don't have to demand people to give it to you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so going forward, you know, I, I it's uh, May 12th. My prediction is the, the market is back to complete normal four weeks from now. Um, if not, the whole world's going to be on fire and we're going to be in a civil war and we're going to have a whole separate set of issues to worry about. Um, I have not, I have not complied with a lot of, um, and that that's, that this is a, you know, you, you, you want the government to force people to do things a certain way. Well, I mean, what are you going to do if they don't? You know, there's lots of people who told me I had to wear a mask. I ain't worn a mask and I won't. Right. I, I just, I mean, it's a microcosm of the whole thing. You know, well, you, you have to, no, I don't, I, I'm not going to. And, you know, so then what do you do? Oh, well, they're not doing what they're told, you know? Okay. Well, good luck to you. Um, but there's an opportunity coming. Um, if we, I'm not ready to predict that we're going back to 2018 rates for a little while. It's possible. But if we do, you know, if we have a June, July, August, September, October, November, that just rocks and rolls, that's an opportunity for you to get your stuff together. That's, that's your opportunity not to sit at the house and say, I'm finally getting what I'm worth. And so I'm now going to work three days a week at 350 a mile. No, 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 no. No, you put that big truck in the wind and you start grabbing gears and you put a load on it every day and you go out in that big market and you make every single possible dime you can and you pile up big, big piles of cash. And if you've got one of those problematic new trucks, you need to sell that bitch and go get you a good old used dependable truck. Uh, if you've ever wanted to be a fleet, trucks will be on sale. Go buy you a couple, you know. 
but remember, if you're going to be a fleet, you're also going to have to be a teacher and a trainer because you're going to have to, you're going to have to go find people to drive them that will drive them as if they were theirs. People think that being a fleet means you have to manage trucks. Um, not really when to be a fleet, you have to be a leader of people because those trucks can't drive themselves. And even if they did, they wouldn't drive themselves the way that they should be driven. So the trick to being a fleet is being able to attract, retain, educate, motivate uh, people. And um, not a really, really uh, easy thing to find in this industry. You know, most people became on rappers because they didn't want to be around other people. You know, the idea of an independent trucker is because they didn't play well with other people. You know, the, the reason they did it was they, they don't know business, but they don't know, but they know they don't want a job. Okay. So let me just buy a truck and be a truck driver. But the problem with that is when you buy a truck, now all of a sudden you're not a truck driver. You're an owner, you're a businessman. And so that's the, that's the whole problem with this situation is that we have people that are truck drivers that aren't business people. That's the whole problem. Now, if you're going to be a fleet, you just multiply that because now not only are you a good businessman, but you're probably a very poor leader of people since that's what you tried to get away from to begin with is you're antisocial. You know, you don't like being around people. You certainly don't like having to, you know, to, to help other people, but that's what being a fleet's all about. And then on top of that, now you're an employer. Now you have other people whose livelihood depends on you and your leadership and your, your security, your stability. And That's you're a never big off. step. And you're never you know, off. That's a big like, step. Like, you know? like, for example, you know, you're recording a podcast and a $3 and something mile load pops up and you got to text one of your drivers to call and get it from one of your other drivers while we're doing this, because you can, in this market, you can't pass it, up $3 a mile. You better get on stopped. it. You know, my friends, and, they, 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 they don't really understand. They go, well, when are you off? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm off all the time. Well, when do you work? Well, I work all the time. Well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I have technology. I have, you know, the, I mean, w w I have to react to whatever happens. I don't know when it's going to happen. You know, I could go all day and literally do nothing. Okay. Or I could spend the rest of the day recovering canceled loads or a truck with a maintenance problem or what, you know, so that's not for everybody. You know, there's some people that go, by God, I'm off. You know, I can wait till tomorrow. No, no, we can't because you're going to lose that driver. You know, you're going to lose that customer. You know, there's a price that you pay for this, but there's also a price that you get paid for doing this and you can't get one without the other. You know, I encourage everybody, you know, to do the, all they can and, uh, and if, if, and make as much money as they can. But when you cross that threshold of being an employer, um, there is a sacred trust there that that just completely um supersedes everything else because you know I, I i don't worry about me in this virus my biggest concern was that i don't want it to affect one single one of my drivers you know and so all the things that i can do 
to supplement that. I do, you know, um, it's probably no big secret. Landstar gave is paying a $50 uh, extra commission, whatever you want to call it, extra pay supplement accessorial on every load during this, um, during this um, pandemic. Well, I would say that probably a lot of fleets are paying some of that to the driver and keeping some of it because they own the truck and they have risk too. But I made the decision right away that I wasn't going to keep any of that money. I passed every bit of that money completely, directly, and in full to the drivers because I needed them to not feel like this was going to, you know, be a problem for their income. I can absorb it. I got drivers that couldn't absorb losing three or four, five hundred dollars a week, you know. But that's the mentality you have to have when you decide that you're going to be a fleet. It's not about the number of trucks you got. It's about the number and the quality of people that you got. That's what being a fleet is. So I don't think we meant to talk about that, but when you brought it up, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. Well, that's a big part of it because it, it's a logical step in building an asset you know, buying a truck and becoming an owner operator is basically creating a job for yourself. But if you're not driving the truck, the truck makes no income. And so if you want to have an asset that produces income without you actually driving it, then you've got to have somebody to drive it for you. And you've got to have at least five of them going to really build a comfortable income for yourself um, enough that you wouldn't have to have some other source of income, you know, but just buying one truck and putting a driver in it, it might give you a little supplemental income throughout the year, but you're not going to live on it, you know, in, in two or three, you know, but it really takes five to, to have a, to have a profitable enough business that you can not do anything else and just manage those trucks. Um, but you have to be, you have to be a leader. You have to be, you can't be a tyrant. You can't be a slave driver um, because people will quit. You know, they won't, they won't put up with you. You know, if you don't maintain the truck, if you don't take care of what you're supposed to, if you're not keeping them loaded enough, they're not making enough money. They can just go somewhere else. You know, I heard a saying one time that I've always, it's always stuck with me. It's a little cheesy and corny, but it's true. You know, and when we're hiring drivers, you know, a lot of people are very, very impressed with what we know, you know, the knowledge that we have, and they want that knowledge. But the saying is people don't really care what you know until they know that you care. And that's the thing that we do here is that, and that's why we have the type of uh, mentoring fleet that we have is because not only do we give them a good job, but we care enough about them that we're teaching them how to do this on their own. You know, we're not going to have our drivers very long. They're going to be here for a year, year and a half, and they're probably going to be gone because we're going to have taught them everything that they need now to be successful. And we've given them the opportunity to save the money and to position themselves. And they've, we've taught them everything that we know about business and about trucking and about you know, this industry and, and with the idea that they're going to take that and leave, you know, now a lot of people would, would just, that would be a problem for them because they want to have, 
you know, a human asset, you know, that they can count on, but that's just not fair. That's not fair to them. You know, um, I have, a um, a, um, a guy that I've always admired that was a football coach in Georgia, went on to build the biggest insurance industry in the world at the time. They sold it and gone now, but his name is Art Williams. And he has a, he has a book and a philosophy called pushing up people. And his philosophy was that if you help enough other people get what they want, you can't not get what you want. And that's the idea that we're working around here is that not only do we want to make this successful for blue ribbon, but what makes it successful for us is because we help enough other people get what they want. And so that's the caring part. And they know that we care and we show it every day in the way that we treat them and the way that we talk about them and the way that we, you know, mentor them and so forth. So, uh, if you want to know what our secret is when it terms when it comes to fleet building and people building, uh, just keep that in mind. Is that um, we not only do we uh, share our knowledge, but we let them know that we also care and we're willing to share, and uh, and we're not afraid that that's going to hurt us. You know, um, it doesn't bother me that we're going to have people leaving in a year, and year and a half, and going. I guess in the competition with this, if you want to call it that. Um, but, you know, I look at it this way. We get a much better quality individual. If, if, if that's what they aspire to do is to be a successful owner operator, man, that makes, that makes me a much better driver than somebody that just wants to come here and be a driver for the rest of their life. I'll take the, the former of that any day over the latter. Yep. Speaking of that, if you're listening to this, we do hire drivers. You know, we are planning on buying a few more trucks as soon as this mess cleans up. So if you want to talk about that with us or you want to get more information on what it takes to be a driver and to be a part of our program and get that knowledge and education and nurturing and mentoring, then Chris, tell them how to do it. Well, you go to, uh, blueribbonlogistics.com click on drive for us there is a form there that you can fill out and give us some information and we will get in touch with you um, and we'll set up an interview a video interview just on zoom just like this and we'll talk about who you are and where you came from and where you want to be uh, you can, if you have questions just in general, you can email us at chris at blueribbonlogistics.com, larry at blueribbonlogistics.com. We're on Facebook at Blue Ribbon Logistics. And uh, I guess that's pretty much it, you know. So you can you can look at us on our website. You can find us on social media, and you can send us an email if you have questions. And YouTube. Don't forget YouTube, blueribbonlogistics.com slash YouTube. Uh, all the podcast episodes and we're working on doing some more content. I, I did the one video about does Landstar really take 35% of my money? And uh, it's been a really popular video. Yes. I get lots of good feedback on that uh, video every week. Um, so uh, I encourage you to ca- check out the YouTube channel. We're going to, we got to get to producing and put some more of this basic stuff, you know, breaking down a lot of these um different facets of owning a truck and and i think we're going to be able to you know if zeke decides to buy a truck we'll probably use him as a guinea pig to uh 
you know, go through the process of, of how that works. Um, but think about that. You know, here's, here's a guy, a dad with got a bunch of kids and, and even in this market, he's thinking about buying a truck because he knows uh, with our help and, and influence and, and our guidance that he can go out and make, you know, 150 grand a year and he can build a fleet. You know, he and his wife are both really fired up about um, having their own fleet and building an asset that that will last. So, uh, so if you have any questions, send us an email. Until then, next time we will see you later. Take care, everybody.